it's Mo Egger. If you're a college basketball fan, you're going to love Long Neck Sports Grill. There are three locations in Northern Kentucky, Wilder, Hebron, and Richwood. Each one of them has 4K TVs all over the place. And at Long Necks, the sound is on for every big game. Plus, no place has a better beer selection. And the menu at Long Necks is awesome, but you've got to try their wings. No matter who your team is, you'll find them at Long Necks. This college basketball season, swing by Long Neck Sports Grill. Stay late. Come often. Team 30. Get ready for the Jake Browning Show. Touchdown! Nice. The Burrowless Bengals turn to Jake Browning as the orange and black take on Pittsburgh's black and gold. Jake Browning throws the first touchdown pass of his NFL career. Will our Bengals rally around Jake the Snake for the win? Fight for the goal line. Touchdown! Dan Hoard and Dave Lappin have the call live. Bam! 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 Coverage begins Sunday morning at 9 on ESPN 1530. The official home of the Bengals. What's up? Good afternoon. I'm Mo Egger. This is ESPN 1530. Thank you so much for listening. We are broadcasting at our favorite place, the Moorline Logger House, downtown Cincinnati, the home of the $5 happy hour menu from 3 to 6. It's right now between 3 and 6. Let's be honest, okay? I know it's gnarly out. You know, we've been blessed with great weather, all these shows we've done here on Tuesdays. The, the weather today, disgusting. It looks like our mood right now in the city about the Bengals. It's putrid. It's nasty. It's disgusting. Let's just call it what it is. But here's the thing. Thursday is Thanksgiving, okay? Tomorrow is Thanksgiving Eve. Nobody will be working, all right? Like, you know, my show tomorrow, I'm not going to be talking to a lot of after work commuters, I might be talking to people who are driving to the parents' house or something. So nobody's going to work tomorrow. And so, like, nobody's going to be working this afternoon. If that sounds like you or it sounds like somebody you want to be, come on out to the Moreline Lager House. You get $5 happy hour menu prices. You get $2 off appetizers. You can sign up for Luke Combs tickets. You can uh, meet Megan. You can meet Mike. Kelsey Conway from the Cincinnati Inquirer is here covering the uh, Cincinnati Bengals. Also, the uh, final prepar- uh, preparations underway for the Chris Kindle market. This is great. The uh, Cincinnati Chris Kindle market at the Amoraline Lager House starts tomorrow. And it runs clear through the holiday season. You can rent an igloo on the igloo boardwalk. They're $300. But how about this deal? Find me anywhere else that does this, okay? You rent an igloo for 300 bucks. They immediately give you $300 back in gift cards for cocktails, food, beverages, the market. You can't beat it. So uh, check that out. There's a link at uh, morelineloggerhouse.com. Click on the Chris Kindle market on that page, and uh, you're going to be good to go. Uh, Kelsey Conway from the Inquirer is here an hour from now. Uh, we'll chat with our friend Chad Brendel about the big UC basketball news yesterday. Also, Steve Cangelosi from uh, Apple TV is going to join us at 5.05 to preview uh, the FC Cincinnati conference semifinal tilt on Saturday evening. That is coming up at 5.05. But first, Kelsey is here. It's good to have you. Thanks so much for having me. I'm, I'm no Paul Daner Jr., but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it my best. Why, why aren't you? Huh? 
It's a different perspective. Paul gets tired of my my just jokes and stuff. So to be nice to have somebody. I think he gets tired of mine too because we sit next to each other in the media room. So I guess we'll just have to see whose jokes he's more tired of. Very good. You know, you uh, you said to me you were listening to our show. If folks could also see you on the ESPN Plus Bearcat broadcast. Yes. Working the sidelines. That's what I was going to say. You and I will both be working tomorrow We will be night. working tomorrow night. Yes. And uh, the Aziz Bandago news, you heard it on our show yesterday. I was giddy for the rest of the evening. It was like one of those moments where you like fist pump in your car and yeah. I almost feel like I should have showed up today wearing like a free Jamil Reynolds sweatshirt or well, something. We need to do that. Yes. We, we need to, we need to get those. So if anyone's making those Sign me up. For okay, one. <laughs> yeah, we can we can see about that. So it's going to be a lot of fun tomorrow. UC yes. and uh, and Georgia Tech. That's going to be good. Yeah, I think you know it's been fun to be back in the swing of college <clears throat> basketball and all the excitement around it. But you know it's so hard to gauge what this Cincinnati basketball team is going to be when you've seen who they've gone up against. Right. And there's a lot of positive signs, and with so much excitement with the Jordan brand and and all they have going on, I feel like this game is going to give us a really good litmus test of what to expect really from this. Bearcats yeah, it's, it's a good barometer. I have liked how they have played for most of the four games. Understanding the competition. Look, and say what you want, Eastern Washington has a good chance yeah. to win their league. NKU was picked to finish first in their league. Those are good teams. Those are teams that Cincinnati was favored to beat and did beat and beat them pretty handily. But but I like I like how the pieces fit, and then you add to it a dude who has Aziz's capabilities on both ends. Suddenly this team, just by what happened yesterday, has taken a step forward. Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting for us to see how much he plays tomorrow night mm -hmm. because I know Wes just said in his press conference, you know, it's not like we put him in and we're going to win by 150. They got to be careful kind of One, getting 125. him. 125. <laughs> they they got to get him conditioned and ready to go. But yeah. I mean, there's I can't I can't remember in the last couple of years so much excitement about a Cincinnati basketball game and the season, which is exciting. You've you've covered the Bengals uh, and you've covered uh, professional sports and you've been in in locker rooms and in post-game settings that are jovial, and you've been in post-game settings that are the exact opposite. How would you describe Thursday in Baltimore? Crazy. Yeah. Because from there's so much work that has to get done on a Thursday night game because you know all the stories that you would write on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, they get pushed up. So then you finally get to the game and you feel like, okay, all my work's done and that's the breather. Well, then Joe Burrow gets hurt. And it looks like it's pretty serious. So I actually went down to the locker room. I didn't even watch the rest of the second quarter hmm. because I wanted to see if he was going to come out of the locker room, if there was anything down there to report. And I, from that moment, I was like, okay, this is going to be a, a, a bigger deal. He didn't come out. And there were other, like the Amazon Prime cameras were down there waiting for him. And then you just waited. And then it was like, I saw him come out of the locker room. And you could just, I've seen him so many times, like just the visible frustration. And he was walking out with yeah. T. Higgins. And I couldn't make out, you know, exactly what he said, but it was something of the lines of like just devastation. Like mm -hmm. he knew. And then you go into the mode of, yes, the game is important still, but really, as the beat reporter, you know, this has become your biggest story That's of the, story. the year. Yeah. Yeah. And then nothing else really matters in the grand scheme of things so then you get yourself ready for thursday after the game when you ask you know all the questions and it wasn't just that he got hurt there was the whole operation of the wrist situation mm. the brace and all that and it was just like it was this massive tornado of news that just came at you fast and it was like you didn't even really have time to like think about anything other than just like being in the moment and trying to report as much as you can being at the scene 
Yeah. It, it was funny watching on TV. You know, we were all just looking for clues. Mm-hmm. And, and I kept saying to the people that I was with, I'm watching his body language. That's not the body language of somebody who knows everything's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. But it was weird. He's on the sideline. He's still in uniform. He you know, didn't put a pullover on. Uh, he didn't have anything on his on his wrist. He was engaged with his teammates, but not overly engaged. I mean, it was. You certainly didn't watch him and think, "God, he's okay." But but you also didn't look at it and go, "Okay, well, I've concluded he's done." It was weird to gauge in real time, which is why I think everybody was so much on edge late Thursday and all through Friday until. Zach broke the news that he's out for the season. What was weird about this situation is there wasn't a peep on Friday morning. I checked in with a number of people Mm -hmm. trying to get some information. I didn't get a response from anyone, and it wasn't even broken, um, (laughs) you know, until Zach, you know, shared it at the beginning of his opening press conference. And I think what back to what you're saying about Joe Burrow and, and now having covered every single one of his press conferences and every practice for the last two years is he is so stoic and Mm -hmm. i think watching him behind closed doors being down in that tunnel where i told you i was yeah he showed his frustration then Hmm. and what i've learned about players staying in their uniforms is joseph osai a couple weeks after he sprained his ankle in that preseason game came out in his uniform to Mm -hmm. practice and i remember i asked him about it because I had heard it was going to be four weeks. And yeah. I said, did, did something change? Are, are you not going to be out for four weeks? And he said, I just wanted to feel like a part of the team. So he wore his jersey to practice. And mm-hmm. I think there was a little bit of that with Burrow where maybe he didn't like want to believe that his season was going to be over and he could stay in the moment as long as he could. And that's how he operated the second half. I feel like that's where he was as a player. <clears throat> and then, of course, he gets the devastating news on Friday. And I was expecting him to be way more visibly upset in his press conference. Yeah. And and he and he really wasn't. I thought he really handled himself like a pro and his whole the way he is able to just deal with all the different things he has to. I would love to know, you know, what he's saying behind closed sure. doors, but in terms of his public appearances, it's it's honestly commendable because Agreed. a lot of people would break in those moments and yeah. he just hit after hit. He just stands up there and he just looks at it with a positive outlook and i think that's just kind of how he's programmed yeah and and you know maybe it's the, look I'm, I'm the face of this franchise everybody's going to take their cue from me yeah. so i've got to put a good face on and maybe behind the scenes it's different i'm sure it is but hey look uh th- this team still has games to play as much as for a lot of people it might not feel like it and i've got to exude some degree of positivity and and confidence because everything flows from me and i i think that's I'm going to guess that that's where his head is, and I think that's an incredibly mature place to come from. I don't think – I think he's always known his importance on this team, but I think the cap situation nailed it in the sense of I think he really realized he is the entire engine. He he affects how the defense plays. Like, I think – that first couple of months of the season, it really showed him just how much he impacts the team in maybe more ways than he thought, simply from a morale and just belief standpoint. Yeah. Uh, this whole thing with the, the brace that he was wearing <laughs> on the airplane and the picture and then the picture being deleted and the NFL looking in, I, I've arrived at the conclusion that this is all an unfortunate coincidence and the Bengals aren't guilty of anything wrong. Is that a stretch? Is it unfair? Am I being naive? 
Talk to me. No, so I think that you're right in saying that, and I, and I wrote it in the story. So I, I had to go back and find the actual injury report policy on the NFL's website. So it took mm-hmm. me a little bit to find it. And this thing is so in-depth. <laughs> it's like three pages long. And having been around covering the NFL for as long as I have, the thought of Mike Brown and the Bengals organization – the fact that they know exactly what happened when Mike Tomlin in 2019 was fined $25,000 mm-hmm. and the Steelers were, uh, you know, fined $75,000. They are so conscious about every choice they make financially at the <laughs> Bengals. So why would they ever put themselves in a position? And Mike Brown is at practice every single day. Right. Like the franchise is too smart to put themselves in a situation thinking that they would be able to not list him on the injury report and get away with that. I do not think the Bengals had any any inclination, and I don't think that they knew about it and decided not to put it on. So I think the inv- investigation will play itself out. They'll do the interviews. They'll turn over the practice footage. And I think the Bengals will be able to get out of there you know, with their hands clean because mm-hmm. I truly don't think they would put themselves in that situation. I do wonder, and it's fair to say because – you know, Burrow doesn't give a lot of clues, but if you read between the lines of things he says and being at every press conference, he was specifically talking about how he was sore mm-hmm. after the Texans game when he had to talk to the media. Right. And that's normal, right? They're, yeah. they're in week 11. Not every player who's sore is going to be on the report. Yes. Right. And, and I don't want to speak for what happened, but it wouldn't be wild if, you know, he was maybe nicked up a little bit after taking a lot of hits in the Texans game. And you know how it is for these players. They wake up the next day and they feel like they're okay. And then two days later, right. it, it kind of like comes back at you. It's almost like you brace yourself to just get through the game and the next day. And then when you like take an actual day off, then you're like, oh, I am pretty sore. Mm-hmm. So I don't think that the Bengals did anything wrong. I think, like you said, it was a, uh, an unfortunate coincidence, but the deleting of the video didn't help. Right. But, you know, everybody makes mistakes. Yeah. And, and I think that, everybody like ma- you said, it was a, just a massive... A lot of people make mistakes in times of panic. Yes. And I think if, if everybody now had a chance to sit back and go, okay... If we could do it all over again, yes, it was mm-hmm. silly to delete it. I, I just – I've defaulted to what I saw, the footage of him throwing pregame. I saw Absolutely. a guy that looked fine. Right, and and the way he played in the first half before he got hurt would tell you he was fine. And I, like I just said, I think they're going to – these quarterbacks, especially here with the, the amount of hits he's been taking, they're going to get nicked up, and I think it just became a massive coincidence coincidence but i do think joe burrow and i would love to ask him this question when he gets back is have you learned anything about your process of how you deal with injuries in terms of go back to the first day of training camp yeah joe burrow is wearing a compression sleeve i i i spotted it and i tweeted that picture and i was like this is something he's mm-hmm. wearing a compression sleeve and i know people probably look at reporters and be like that's crazy why do you care that he's wearing yeah, a compression right. sleeve but that's the era of reporting that we're in so mm-hmm. when the franchise quarterback is wearing a compression sleeve on the second day of training camp that's noteworthy and then that day he strains his calf and you know you'll never know if it's connected but is he learning that when he is nicked up a little bit is it okay to just say 
hey, I'm dealing with this, or hey, I, and I think he does it from a sense of he doesn't want to let anybody down. Mm-hmm. That, and that, so mm-hmm. that's where I'm curious to see if, if his mentality with all of that kind of changes. It is uh, 19 minutes after 3 o'clock. Kelsey Conway covers the uh, Bengals for Cincinnati.com and the host of the Bengals Beat podcast. You just did an episode before you came here. I did. It, it's a preview of the Steelers, and I think a lot of that's going to change now with the news <laughs> of Matt Canada yeah. not calling the offense. Pittsburgh firing their offensive coordinator uh, early this morning. We're here at the Amorline Logger House downtown Cincinnati. It's uh, 19 after 3 on ESPN 1530 Cincinnati Sports Station. This is ESPN 1530. Mo with uh, Kelsey Conway, who covers the uh, Bengals for uh, Cincinnati.com and the Acquire. Chad Brendel is going to join our show at uh, 4.05. We're at the Amorline Lager House, downtown Cincinnati. They have the uh, $5 happy hour menu happening right now. And uh, you could also get uh, $2 off appetizers between now and 6 o'clock. And if you can't make it before 6, it's obviously... An- You're going to be, like, cooking and eating at home, right, later on this week. So come on out, have dinner. At the uh, Moreline Lager House downtown. All right. So you're around the team all the time. So for a lot of folks, you know, beyond the preseason, Thursday against Baltimore was the first prolonged glimpse of Jake Browning that yes. people cared about. <laughs> and I thought he looked like a guy who's a backup quarterback playing in his first real NFL game. Like, I, I, didn't, I didn't think he looked terrible. Didn't think he had much help. Don't think he looked great. He looked like... A random backup quarterback. And that's not an insult. It's also not the most uh, awe-inspiring thing either, I guess. But from, from your perspective, having watched him in practices, going back since well beyond the start of training camp this year, having followed his progression, followed that backup quarterback battle that he won against Trevor Simeon, what do you expect to see from Jake Browning moving forward? A little bit more of the same of what we saw on Thursday. Oh, and boy. I'm, and I'm just trying to temper expectations. Sure. At training camp practice every single day, you'd walk away saying, gosh, when is Joe Burrow coming back? (laughs) Because it just was bad quarterback play between Jake Browning and Trevor Simeon. It wasn't good. Yeah. It was not good. And uh, the letdown was you thought Trevor Simeon was going to be a lot better, but he he wasn't. He was brought here to win the job. Right. And, And so for Jake to beat him out, you know, kudos to Jake. But if we're being completely honest, I, I didn't find myself up until that final week saying that's going to be the guy. And that was watching the preseason games and all. Um, but I do think you get a little bit more of scramble ability with what he can do with his legs more yeah. so than Joe. Um, I, I just think that when you look at, you know, and people say, well, it's it his first game action. Hey, it's Mo Egger. The college basketball season is heating up, and there's no better place to watch every game than Long Neck Sports Grill. There are 4K TVs all over the place at each Long Neck's location, and at Long Neck's, the sound is on for every big game. Plus, no place has a better beer selection. And I say this often, if you haven't tried Long Neck's Wings, what are you waiting for? No matter who your team is, you'll be able to watch them at Long Neck's. Wilder, Hebron, and Richwood. Long Neck Sports Grill. This college basketball season, stay late, come often. I just think like him being, I think he was like 8 of 16, 8 of 15 maybe. I I think that's probably what you're going to get. From him, but I'm more so interested in Zach's game plan knowing Jake Browning's limitations mm-hmm. because it's unrealistic, and I think this is league wide. What Josh Jobs is doing is 
not normal as yeah. a backup. I right. mean, look at Zach Wilson and, and look at some of the other places that are having a, a backup. It, the play level goes down, of course. Right. But is the Bengals' offense good enough around him to make whatever Jake Browning can give them, whether it's, you know, B minus C level play, good enough for them mm-hmm. to win? Yeah. And. I don't think you've seen it from the Bengals' offense this year. I, I think outside of Jamar Chase, the group has vastly underplayed in terms of their abilities. And so I think that's what I said to you before the UC basketball game is, is I'm so interested to see how this season goes in terms of I think you're going to find out who some of these guys really are because Joe Burrow masks so much mm-hmm. and he makes a lot of people that are ordinary look really good. And I think you're going to learn a lot about, you know, Tyler Boyd, T. Higgins, Joe Mixon, and and everybody else because I think Jake Browning is – I think what you saw against the Ravens is probably what you're going to see. I'm just curious to see how he is in terms of ball security. And it's a tough test because his first battle of a full game Mm -hmm. is going to be against – probably the best (laughs) edge-rushing tandem. And then, oh, by the way, Cam Hayward's back, and he is a menace. So – Again, it's going to be hard to judge him because unless the Bengals' offensive line really steps it up, I just I don't envision them having a game plan that involves him hanging on to the ball for a lot of time. Yeah. And so with that, you got to be really accurate, and he wasn't that accurate against the Ravens, so we can really only go off of that, and he really wasn't that accurate during training camp. So I think that expectations – should be tempered, and you're going to give him his fair shot and believe in him until you, until you can't. But I remember being like, I can't believe the Bengals didn't have a better backup quarterback situation going into this yeah, season. And I think that's where we all were all summer long. Yeah. And so, you know, you know, as soon as as soon as things went down the way they did on Thursday, folks defaulted to, well, are they going to call Matt Ryan or they call Tom Brady? And I'm going, if. No. They're not doing that. If if they believed in Jake Browning after months of, of training camp battles and preseason and all that, then they're going to ride or die with him as the, the backup. I think back to, and this is obviously before you covered the team, in 2015, on a good team, Andy Dalton gets mm-hmm. hurt. A.J. McCarron takes over, and he plays credibly. Mm-hmm. You know, he plays fine. In the regular season, they leaned into the run game, and Jeremy Hill had two 100-yard games. And it was weird because they, that wasn't a great running team, but they had a good offensive line, and they could sort of tailor their, their, their offense around what A.J. could do, but also mask some of his deficiencies by being able to run the ball. This is not a good running team. And if teams decide, fine, we're going to take this not good running team and make it impossible for them to run, uh, I, I don't know that I trust Jake to be capable of making them pay consistently. Well, and that's why the backup quarter quarterback conversation in Cincinnati is so interesting because there's so many layers to it in that this offseason all you heard about was the Super Bowl expectations around the Bengals right sure. like and some people would say like every move they made was setting it up and sure they did make some moves that would allow you to think that but they also didn't make a lot of moves that now is coming to head in terms of were you really serious about wanting to be quote unquote all yeah. in on the on this year. And going back to the backup quarterback situation is is like I remember at the combine last February asking Brian Callahan what needed to change in the run game. And they said we need to be more explosive in the run game. Hmm. Then they made zero 
zero change in right. terms of personnel to allow you to be more explosive. And then they tried to say that they, Frank Pollock changed all these schematic things oh boy. regardless. But what they changed isn't working, and it shows that the personnel isn't, isn't good enough. Right. And, and you can get into, is it scheme personnel? I think it's, it's a combination of both, but it relates to the backup quarterback situation is how many more years is going to go by where at this point – Joe Burrow, every quarterback is gonna at some point get, get dinged up. Whether it's hurt, you yeah, know, they're gonna get they're gonna get dinged up playing the quarterback position. Can you get a better team around you that you can sustain? Whether it's a couple in uh, a couple games missed, mm-hmm. and I just think that the Bengals didn't do enough. So you wonder, and that's why this Jake Browning thing, like you said, like they were gonna stick their like feet in on Jake Brown because sure. this is Zach's decision. Like mm-hmm. they they brought in Trevor Simi in the front office, viewed that as like that was our part to bring you. Yeah. And you picked Jake Browning and you think he's good enough? Well, we'll see if he's good enough. But what they have around him, in my opinion, doesn't also doesn't set Jake Browning up to be successful here. Yeah, and, and I would include the offensive line in that conversation. I, I, I do want to ask you a question that Tony Pike asked me before I went on the air. We'll do that when we come back. It's uh, 28 away from uh, 4 o'clock, broadcasting from the uh, Moorline Lager House. By the way, uh, Bengals play at 1 o'clock at home on Sunday. Th- th- this game on Sunday still counts. Uh, the Everything Cincy pregame party starts at uh, 10 a.m., takes you right up until uh, kickoff. So uh, keep that in mind as you think ahead to uh, Sunday and the uh, game against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Kelsey Conway from the Cincinnati Inquirer is here. I'm here till 6. This is ESPN 1530 Cincinnati Sports Station. Steelers coverage begins Sunday morning at 9 on ESPN 1530, the official home of the Bengals. Sports headlines are brought to you by Kelsey Chevrolet. Now through December 2nd, it's Kelsey Chevrolet's Black Friday pre-owned sales event. All makes, all models, lenders on site, guaranteed credit approval, top value for your trade, lifetime powertrain protection only at uh, Kelsey Chevrolet. Pat Noonan named the Major League Soccer Coach of the Year. His team is in action against Philadelphia in the conference semifinals on Saturday night. Uh, Bengals getting set to play the Steelers on Sunday. Pittsburgh has fired Matt Canada as its offensive coordinator. If you like college football and basketball coaches shows, tonight is your night. ESPN 1530 has the John Calipari show at 6. And then the Mark Stoops show at 7 o'clock. 55 KRC has the Sean Miller show at 7. Scott Satterfield show is at 8 o'clock on 700 WLW. There you go. Uh, Kelsey Conway from the Cincinnati Inquirer is here. We were talking about Jake Browning. Tony Pike asked me, how long will the leash be? Because you and I, you, we both know how popular A.J. McCarron is. People love A.J. McCarron. And, you know, I, I, to a large extent, I, I get it. Um, so he's going to be the backup. You and I both know, like the first three and out, there's going to be people yelling and screaming for A.J. McCarron. I might be one of them. How long do you think the leash is? Really long. Really long. I do. Yeah? Because of every decision that they've made shows their belief in Jake Browning. Mm-hmm. And even though, you know, coaches will say you take the ego out, there's <laughs> still a level of ego involved in this. Mm-hmm. And this is a Zach Taylor decision. Like this was, he made the <clears throat> call, of course, with input from Duke Tobin on making him the backup over Trevor Simeon. I mean, Jake Browning outplayed him. Yeah. But my point it is, it was the right call based if, on the, the, the training camp. If they didn't make a move to go out and sign someone else other than AJ McCarron before the trade deadline or trade for someone, why would you think 
that they are going to give up on Jake Browning if he has a rough two-game spell. I'm I not even, think that I'm, his leash is going to be really long. Well, here's the thing. If it's a rough two-game spell and they lose both games, then who cares? But let's say it's the scenario that Tony outlined for me. This game on Sunday is massive in, as it relates to the playoff standings, right? Pittsburgh is probably not good enough to blow them out. Their offense has been unwatchable. Maybe that changes with a different play caller, but they've been putrid. So the, the roadmap to a Bengals win includes keeping Pittsburgh at what they are offensively and figuring out a way to just score 14 to their 13 or 17 to their 16. Well, let's say it's 13 to 3, and Jake Browning is awful, and it's the early fourth quarter, and the game is winnable, and the season is hanging by a thread, to me, you cast ego aside and you think about what is the best, what is the best option for winning this football game. And I think there are going to be a lot of people on that team looking at each other going, really, we're not getting the other guy a shot? You can go back to Jake next week against Jacksonville, but in that moment, you mean to tell me you're just going to let Jake carte blanche, he's the guy no matter what? I think a lot of folks would have an issue with that. I, I would like to point out that I don't necessarily agree no, with what No, I get I'm it. Yes, Because sure. in my opinion, why did you bring in A.J. McCarron if you didn't think he could actually help you win a game? Well, it's, it's one thing if you're A.J. McCarron and you're backing up Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow has the longest leash on earth. It's one right. thing if you're A.J. McCarron and he was backing up Andy Dalton, who had won a lot of games for you. Those are established guys who the, the franchise decided – were the guys, Joe more so than Andy. They're not doing that with Jake Browning. Jake Browning, all right, it's not working. Let's try to win this football game. Hey, AJ, you've won games in the NFL before. Let's see if you can give it a try. That wouldn't be an option? I don't think so. And oh, I, and I, I, I hope just, we're not there because I hope Jake plays well, but wow. Because I just think, like I've said, they have made it clear Jake is their guy, and if, if they pull him... It's their admission that they've completely failed in this regard this season. And I think that if you look at any answer, and I'll point out my own question to Zach when I asked him after Tennessee, like, is Joe Burrow going to be the starting quarterback? He looked at me like I had 10 heads and was like, that's a weird question. Yes. (laughs) But my point is, is he's so loyal to his decisions. So I think that they are going to give Jake Browning – uh, a long enough leash, and I would be absolutely floored if in two games it's, uh, you know, two minutes to go and Jake Browning's thrown three interceptions and it's just been a putrid offense that they would bring in A.J. McCarron. But that doesn't mean that I, that I agree with that. Right. Because, like I just said, what was the point of this A.J. McCarron signing at the point that you made it? Because yeah, there I- were still – that was – like early enough where you could have gotten someone else. I I just, I go to like, I don't know, it's a scoreless game at halftime. Your defense is doing everything it can. Your offense can't do anything. You know, what's the harm in AJ? Let's see if you can move the ball and find the end zone. I mean, the starter, the established guy, the 275 million, there's no leash, much less a long one. Jake Browning's going to have a long... He's never started an NFL game where it's going to ride or die with him in the middle of a playoff race? Oof. They liked him enough Oof. during training camp to not Uh-oh. bring anybody else in. So just remember that. Uh, how come... Let, let me ask you this, because Joe is not the only guy dealing with an injury. Mm-hmm. Got Cam Taylor-Britt, mm-hmm. got Sam Hubbard, who if I'm Sam Hubbard, I'm going to the front office going, <laughs> I've watched you guys play without me. I want to raise. 
and you got T. Higgins. What's your gut tell you about their availability, respectively, for Sunday? So I asked Cam Taylor Britt, uh, gosh, what day is it? Tuesday, yesterday. Um, Mm -hmm. I said, are you going to be able to play? And he goes, I honestly don't know. But he said, taking it day by day, and he has a bone bruise on his quad. So I get the sense that he's... It's not serious if it's just bruising, um, but he wasn't willing to say. But I I think that his, of all of their injuries, I would feel the most comfortable saying he probably has a chance to play. Um, Sam Hubbard has been completely closed off in terms of wanting to talk about his injuries. Yesterday we asked him, I asked him, I said, are you you thinking you're going to be able to play? And he's like, I'm not talking about injuries. I did notice that he was at the walkthrough yesterday with his jersey on and his ankle was taped up when he got back in. Hmm. So I think it's a positive sign that he was able to do the walkthrough. But again, that's still just walking. And then T. Higgins, I don't get the impression that that's imminent this week. He was moving better when I saw yeah. him walking. Um, but I, I think that that one might be tricky because of the hamstring and just the fact that those soft tissue injuries. But Sam Hubbard did say he wouldn't disclose the injury that he has on his ankle. But he said, I'm further along than most people would be that have this injury. Yeah. So it's clearly a significant enough injury for him to say that. Yeah. I, the, the defense without Sam Hubbard, for, for those, because you'll hear this occasionally, oh, Sam's overrated. Oh, have you watched him the last two weeks? It's been the glue. Well, absolutely. But, like, how is it that Sam Hubbard, without him in the lineup, your run defense just goes just to, like – People don't know what they're doing, and it's just like it's it's embarrassing. It wasn't great at the beginning of the year. It's been putrid. It shouldn't be this it bad. It should be this one bad. player, right? Especially when you have Jermaine Pratt, mm-hmm. Logan Wilson, DJ Reader, BJ Hill, all of those guys. Um, you know, it shouldn't be this bad. And not taking anything away from Sam, but it one person can't be the reason that this whole thing, you know, falls apart. But I agree with you about Sam and it's like, well, he's gosh, he's never seen his, his importance more than, than ever. But I I think it's been disappointing how inconsistent the Bengals have been on defense. And I know you've talked a lot about it on the show, but like, where are miles Murphy and Joseph Osai in this piece? And and I, something you said, like really stuck out to me a couple weeks ago, as you said, you know, all we heard about all training camp, and I was one of them being like, this Bengals defensive line looks mm-hmm. like it can withstand an injury to Trey or withstand an injury to Sam because of Miles and Joseph Osai. And it has just been uh, probably uh, one of the things that I've been least, like, most disappointed with in terms of I thought we would see more right. from that group, and that all goes into their performance against Does, the does that mean you were listening? I, I'm, no. I'm a big fan of the show, Mo. Wow. Finally, finally found someone who is. It, all right, we have to talk about T. Higgins specifically when we come back. It's uh, 12 minutes away from uh, 4 o'clock. Kelsey Conway from uh, the Cincinnati Enquirer, host of the Bengals Beat podcast as well. It's uh, 12 minutes away from 4 o'clock at the Moreline Logger House on ESPN 1530 Cincinnati Sports Station. And Kelsey Conway from the Cincinnati Enquirer. You can read her work at Cincinnati.com. You can also hear the Bengals Beat podcast, which I've never been a guest on. Well, we got to... Well, I've been a guest on it, but not when you were the host. <laughs> well, we got to we gotta get you on. No, no, we gotta no, get no. You on there. You, no, no, no. You have, you have players on and people who yes. can provide insight, not some fanboy. So I <laughs> think you're, you're doing well. I have... We only have a few minutes, and I have, like, a lot of different things I want to ask you. 
So we're going to sort of go speed round here. Okay. okay. Try to keep my answers. What do you make of uh, like all the, the takes that came out of Thursday about Logan Wilson? Complete crap. Stupid. I just thought like, and I was sitting there when that reporter asked and the tone of the press conference was just like so awkward. It was like crickets when he asked Zach and he had to repeat <coughs> himself because mm-hmm. Zach didn't understand what he was asking him. And just that, and I know that I'm I'm probably biased, even though I'm objective in that I know Logan mm-hmm. because of being around the team. And I thought what Tom Brady said yesterday is what everybody should say. It's an offensive player's, they need to know how to protect themselves. That's yes. not on the defensive player to know to protect the offensive player. Logan was just trying to get him to the ground, and I know you can argue about that tackle, but the reality is it's a tackle that the NFL has said is fair game, and the Logan framework of the was rules. just trying yeah. to bring him down. And, and like Tom Brady said, like the coach, like offensive coaches need to coach their players to learn how to not put themselves in harm's way in situations like that. Has Joe Burrow thrown his last pass to T. Higgins? I do think so. Uh, and I know that uh, that has been a sensitive subject for Bengals fans. And listen, I, I, I spent a weekend in Knoxville, Tennessee with him last year, and I got to know his family and him really well. And, and there is not someone, I think, on the Bengals roster or just having covered professional sports that I think is more worthy of the contract that they should get. And that is T. Higgins. If you know his story and everything his family has been through, he deserves his payday. And he's not going to get it in Cincinnati. And, you know, you can say, well, does he want to go to the Bears or somewhere else and Mm -hmm. catch, you know, less passes and not make to the playoffs. But at the end of the day, like, it goes back to something Jesse Bates said. It's like it's generational wealth that they're striking. And for him, like, this is the deal that he's going to cash in on. And having reported on this story a lot right before the the season started, the Bengals and T. Higgins' camp, they did not get close Mm -hmm. on an extension this offseason. So for those that think that that isn't truthful, let me ask you this. If they didn't get close this offseason, they're they're even closer to when they're going to have to pay Jamar Chase. Mm -hmm. Now you've also seen more holes than ever on this Bengals roster. So if it didn't get done before the season, it wasn't going to get done long term. So, and he's not believed, and I reported it in my story, he's not believed to be a part of their long-term future plans. So tag and trade? I, I think that's the best avenue because if they don't do that, what was the point of not trading him this year, I mean, you got to get something for yeah. him, and, and a comp pick isn't isn't good enough. In well, my I, I think the I think the answer to that would be because they were trying to win the title this year and felt like having T helped further that goal than not having T. Right. But you know, now if if you can't get a deal done, do you want to be left holding the bag at at wide receiver, especially when you know you've. You, you have started to draft other guys. They haven't drafted, I don't think, another T. Higgins, but you do have Jamar Chase. And as you said, his, his contract date is fast approaching. So Yeah, yeah. It, it just the one thing on T. Higgins, it was like, it was such a weird offseason because after the combine when Duke Tobin made those comments, like, find your own T. Higgins, yeah. and, and it felt like there was a lot of confidence about that deal getting done. Then it went to a place of it never got close, and then I get what you're saying about they wanted him on the roster because they wanted to win, try and win a Super Bowl this year. But it, it feels like they, the Bengals knew 
early on after their initial you know conversations with T Higgins's camp that it probably wasn't going to get close right the fact that there weren't more conversations around a potential trader and you never know how many teams called I did read a report that like the par- the Carolina Panthers and another team you know called about him right before the trade deadline mm-hmm. but I just kind of thought there'd be more conversation once they realized it wasn't going to get done all right thank you for coming by thanks so much for having me have class. a great Thanksgiving you too we'll see you at the uh you see Bearcat tomorrow game tomorrow. Night. Yeah, check it out. I can't wait. It'll be great. All right. Uh, you can watch uh, Kelsey on ESPN+. Plus. You can read her at uh, Cincinnati.com. You can follow her on uh, Twitter slash X at Kelsey L. Conway and uh, read her in your morning paper as well. Thanks so much for having me on. Thank you for coming up. It's uh, 4 o'clock. We're at the Marline Lager House. This is ESPN 1530 Cincinnati Sports Station. This is SportsCenter. I'm Christine Lisi. In the aftermath of another uninspiring performance, the Steelers fired offensive coordinator Matt Canada today. The growing chorus of players' criticism likely led to his dismissal by a 6-4 and four Steelers team in the AFC playoff mix. ESPN NFL insider Dan Graziano. I do think there's at least some concern that the players have had enough. And, you know, it's a season where they have a 6-4 and four record and a chance to make the playoffs. You don't want, you know, the locker room to fall apart, obviously, when, when that's still the case. Dan Graziano on Carlin versus Joe. Running backs coach Eddie Faulkner takes over offensive coordinator duties. Quarterbacks coach Mike Sullivan takes the bulk of play-calling responsibilities. Seven-time Super Bowl champion Tom Brady, reminding us what the NFL was back in his day, told the Stephen A. Smith Show, there's a lot of mediocrity in today's NFL. He said coaching's not as good as it was, development of young players isn't as good as it was, and schemes are not as good as they once were. Packers running back Aaron Jones dealing with an MCL sprain likely out at Detroit on Thanksgiving Day, reports ESPN's Adam Schefter. Hey, it's Michelle Smallman. Coming up Wednesday, I'll tell you the surprise team that will miss the playoffs. It's Unsportsmanlike, 6 a.m. Eastern, right here on ESPN Radio, ESPN2, and ESPNU. This report is sponsored. Which begins Sunday morning at 9 on ESPN 1530, the official home of the Bengals. Hey, what's up? It's uh, 7 after 4. Uh, this is ESPN 1530. Good afternoon. I'm Bo X, broadcasting from the Amorline Lager House, downtown Cincinnati. Uh, we are here until uh, 6 o'clock. We have the $5 happy hour menu, and we have the uh, a deal where you get uh, $2 off appetizers, and they are working... Furiously, feverishly, to uh, get this uh, Chris Kindle market ready for its opening tomorrow. And it looks like it's going to be awesome. We'll spend some time on that here uh, in uh, in just a bit. Yesterday, we were wrapping up our show, the Tony and Mo football show, at uh, 5.26. We were about to come back, and we were going to have three minutes to... And we were going to devote that time to the, the UC football game because obviously we had been mostly wall-to-wall Bengals. And I'll be honest, we weren't all that excited about talking about the UC football game because chances are you know how it went. And right before we go on the air, we see the tweet from Chad Brendel giving the world the news that we, if you're a Bearcat fan, we had been waiting for, and that's that Aziz Mandago is going to be able to compete for the Bearcats in the 2023-2024 season. I read the tweet. And then we had to sign off and kick it to a U.K. pregame show. So my first thought was, 
we got to get Chad on today because had we gone for another half hour, we would have gotten Chad on yesterday to talk about this and so much more. Chad covering the uh, Bearcats for BearcatJournal.com. Thank you for making my day yesterday. Uh, it made my day yesterday, especially, you know, the, the football news was the football conversation was uh, painful. And then you get a, you know, a pretty relevant transfer leaving the program. And yesterday just didn't have a good feel to it. And then uh, around 5 o'clock, things started to get interesting. And <laughs> there were rumblings. The ground started rumbling. And then, uh, you know, I tweeted basically as I was still on the phone call uh, when I got the news. And uh, it, was, it felt good to know. I went back and listened last night. And uh, you could tell that, that you and Tony were <laughs> very much in need of a pick-me-up. Yes. Uh, after a tough day of sports talk, a tough day at the sports talk factory. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it seemed like I, I cheered you guys up, so that made me feel good. Very much so. Yes, you made my night. How surprising was yesterday's news? Not overly surprising. I mean... Hey, it's Mo Egger. The college basketball season is heating up, and there's no better place to watch every game than Long Neck Sports Grill. There are 4K TVs all over the place at each Long Neck's location, and at Long Neck's, the sound is on for every big game. Plus, no place has a better beer selection. And I say this often, if you haven't tried Long Neck's Wings, what are you waiting for? No matter who your team is, you'll be able to watch them at Long Neck's. Wilder, Hebron, and Richwood. Long Neck Sports Grill. This college basketball season, stay late, come often. As the story goes, uh, since uh, the, the lawyers that, you know, the law firm that Aziz had uh, retained, that was the same law firm that uh, got Tez Walker at North Carolina cleared, uh, they informed the NCAA yesterday morning that they would be filing suit at 2 p.m. Uh, the NCAA said, uh, can you give us till the end of the day <laughs> before you file that suit? And sure enough, by the end of the day, Aziz Sandego was, was cleared to play for the Bearcats. It's, it's kind of funny how that works, isn't it? It's, you know, it's new information, Mo. The new information uh, is not exactly what the NCAA portrays it to be uh, sometimes, but... Uh, that new information was very good news for all of us. And this is kind of, you know, when the Tez Walker thing happened, my view on that was now there's a playbook. And once there's a playbook, once you know these are the steps that somebody else followed, uh, that's a lot easier than you're just trying to guess and you're just trying to hope that you push the right button that gets your guy, you know, uh, cleared. And, you know, I, I heard a couple weeks back that uh, even before the word got out that the attorney general was getting involved, that Aziz had planned to go with the same law firm that got Tez Walker cleared. And that told me, okay, they're, they're following the playbook, right? They, they, they have decided our path is the path that we have seen uh, create an opening, and that path created the opening, and Aziz got cleared. So... Kudos to the kudos to Wes Miller's connections to North Carolina, first off, because I'm sure that was very beneficial in advising and, and navigating this situation. But to everybody at UC that, that stayed steady and consistent and believed that Aziz had met all the criteria that the NCAA had set forth, and ultimately they were right. So uh, I was I still surprised, yes, because it's the NCAA, and I've said this a million times. You never know with them. Like, you never know. But 
as soon as there is a blueprint, and if you follow that blueprint, Hey, it's Mo Egger. If you're a college basketball fan, you're going to love Long Neck Sports Grill. There are three locations in Northern Kentucky, Wilder, Hebron, and Richwood. Each one of them has 4K TVs all over the place. And at Long Necks, the sound is on for every big game. Plus, no place has a better beer selection. And the menu at Long Necks is awesome, but you've got to try their wings. No matter who your team is, you'll find them at Long Necks. This college basketball season, swing by Long Neck Sports Grill. Stay late. Come often. Things, you know, you hope things go as they went today and they turn in your favor. Um, I, I want to talk about the, the basketball part of this. I don't want to neglect that part, which has yeah. uh, so many of us so excited. Is this now, and I, I correct me if I'm wrong, he has not had his uh, appeal uh, ruled on, Jameel Reynolds, but but this, this basically become his blueprint? And if the answer is yes, then do we expect him to be ruled eligible here very soon? Um, that is very difficult because at, at least with Aziz, Aziz was very public about his mental health and his situation in leaving Utah Valley. Um, you know, he was very open about it when he announced his transfer. Um, when his appeal was denied, he released a statement like it with Aziz. We've at least had markers that we can say, okay, this is like kind of where his thing is. Jamil has kept everything pretty private. And that, you know, that's certainly his choice. But as somebody covering it, it makes it a little bit more difficult because you don't know exactly, you know, what what the the pretty obvious plan of attack is, or you know how they're gonna how they're gonna navigate the waters. So that that is still a little bit more uh, up in the air. But uh, you would certainly hope that you know now that. Now that this is taken care of, that it opens a, a window for Jamil. You also hope that it, the NCAA doesn't decide, look, we did you one favor, like, now you need to shut up and go away. Um, hmm. So we'll see on that. You know, how they're, they're for the student. They, they're very concerned about the well-being of the student-athlete. Oh, oh yeah, yes, um, of course. Right. So we'll see. Uh, I, I, I don't have a great feel on the, the Jamil one because I just don't have as much information as we had about Aziz. Um, and, and that has to come from the kid like that. I, I'm not going to ask anybody to divulge his medical history. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a, that's a slippery slope to start going down, you know? Yeah. Uh, Chad Brendel, BearcatJournal.com. All right. On the court. There's what yeah. we've seen over four games, which I think has been more good than bad. How does he mm-hmm. change the team from what we've seen so far? Well, Mo, if I had to ask you what were the deficiencies of this team, I think <laughs> at the very top of your list would be rim protection. Yes. Uh, add in a top three and maybe not two or three shot blocker in the country. Uh, I think number two on your list very likely could have been uh, depth on the interior. And what we saw uh, against NKU that they were able to overcome, but Odio Guama gets two fouls early in the first half. And then you have to lean on Victor Lockin for 30, 30, 31 minutes or whatever it was, which I, I don't think you want to do. I think you want him in that 22, 23-minute range so he can go out there and, and be at his best every minute that he's out there. So this answers, for me, two of the main questions on this team. Now, 
are we still, uh, you know, playing it cautious on what we've seen through four games on the point guards? I mean, I know I am, but they've been outstanding. And I think they're averaging combined like 23 and a half points a game. If I would have told you that coming into the season when that was maybe the second biggest question outside of these waivers, uh, hey, but after four games, Day-Day and, and Jizzle are going to be averaging 23 and a half a game. I think your ears would have perked up. Um, so it's, it's a team now that Aziz, what he gives you, is an answer to the, the questions that maybe you skipped. Like, I don't want to answer that question yet. <laughs> How are they going to defend the rim? Uh, we'll, we'll get back to that one. Uh, now we can get back to that one, and they can do it at an elite level, you would hope, with, uh, with Aziz down low. So um, it, it just makes this team a lot, more, a lot more complete. I mean, you feel like the point guard play is, is, has been good. Is it going to be great in the Big 12? I'm sure there's going to be ups and downs. But I feel a lot more com- comfortable about it today than I did three weeks ago, and I, I think you would say the same. I, I feel pretty good about the shooting. I feel really good about the, the depth and quality of players they have on the wing. So I think you're now looking at a team that doesn't – is it a perfect team? No. Is it a top 25 team? Hey, it's Mo Egger. The college basketball season is heating up, and there's no better place to watch every game than Long Neck Sports Grill. There are 4K TVs all over the place at each Long Neck's location, and at Long Neck's, the sound is on for every big game. Plus, no place has a better beer selection. And I say this often, if you haven't tried Long Neck's Wings, what are you waiting for? No matter who your team is, you'll be able to watch them at Long Neck's. Wilder, Hebron, and Richwood. Long Neck Sports Grill. This college basketball season, stay late, come often. I, I, I might change my opinion on this, but I don't think it's, it's at that level yet. Mm-hmm. But when I look at this team, I don't think, man, they're really deficient in this area. Like I, last year, I spoke non-stop we talked about it on this show non-stop about this team does not have guards that can break down a defense and and create mismatches as the ball moves and they play too much in isolation because of that and we're seeing a team that that looks to have you know looks completely different than last year i i just don't see like okay this is glaring i you might not i, I i'd love to hear your I, i'll i'll turn the table is there anything you feel like now that this team like like you're still like I don't I don't think they have enough in this area. You know I I, I wish I wish there was like a a wing that could put it on the deck. You know what I mean? Like yeah, well, it's Dan, but he's not there yet. Right. C- correct. Now it, it, there's a chance that by mid January I go okay. Well, Dan checks that box. We're not there yet. I loved what I saw. On Sunday, yeah. from them, we we just haven't seen it enough or or enough consecutively. But sure. no, there. Let me ask you this, because I I talked with a staff member last week, and I'm paraphrasing him. But basically, the the gist of of what I was told was, you know, everybody's focusing on what Aziz can do to protect the rim and what he can provide defensively. Because I, I I feel like folks who haven't seen him or haven't seen him a lot are sleeping on what he would be able to provide our team on the offensive. Sure. What do you say to that? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I've talked about this on on our our shows a couple different times. I've seen a couple of the scrimmages that Aziz uh, the, the the team scrimmages, not like the super secret scrimmages. I'd get <laughs> I'd probably get tased into oblivion if I saw one of those. Um, but like 
there were a couple times, Mo, that they threw passes that I thought were going into orbit. Like, there's no, what the hell was that? And then here come these two, uh, this, this pair of arms uh, <laughs> reaching into the, the atmosphere and grabbing it and dunking it. And what that does to defenses is going to be really interesting because, you know, if, if you've got Seamus Lukosius coming off a high ball screen that's being set by Aziz, Hey, it's Mo Egger. The college basketball season is heating up, and there's no better place to watch every game than Long Neck Sports Grill. There are 4K TVs all over the place at each Long Neck's location, and at Long Neck's, the sound is on for every big game. Plus, no place has a better beer selection. And I say this often, if you haven't tried Long Neck's wings, what are you waiting for? No matter who your team is, you'll be able to watch them at Long Neck's. Wilder, Hebron, and Richwood. Long Neck Sports Grill. This college basketball season, stay late, come often. Are you going to go under and give Seamoss an open shot in, in an attempt to keep Aziz from rolling to the rim? Are, are you going to let Aziz roll to the rim? Are you going to hard hedge? And now all of a sudden you've got a 6'11 alien that, that – can just get down the lane and dunk on anybody anytime he wants like that that is going to be really fun to watch develop because i you know when you talk about the the point guards getting into the paint and and you talk about the ability to kick it out to the wings to shooters um now all of a sudden you also add if the help side defender comes up to stop a point guard and all of a sudden he just flicks it up you know to the middle of the square that's probably gonna be two points because aziz is going to be there to dunk it and, boy, that makes offense a lot easier when you know, hey, we can go get two here. Like, we, we can run X, Y, Z set and get into the middle of the paint, collapse the defense, and throw it up, and, and Aziz can go get it. Um, I mean, how how many years have we watched Kentucky and Coach Cal? Like, that's half of their offense because they've always had bigs that could could be in that dunk spot on the weak side, and you just throw it up, they dunk it, and – you don't even think twice about it. So it does, it does open up the offense in that facet. And he's also got a pretty good back to the basket game, uh, where he can catch it. He's got a nice little right handed hook shot, uh, coming left to right, uh, that, that I've seen be effective. So he definitely gives you another option offensively, uh, that, that makes the defense think twice about how they're defending you. By the way, lengthy conversation with uh, Wes Miller available on the Bearcat Bounce podcast. Find that at BearcatJournal.com. One football thing, so one more game to go. Shama no, Mater <laughs> hits the portal uh, before the, the yeah. season is over. Um, the season's going to end on Saturday. The portal opens on December the 4th. What sort of chaos over the next two weeks? And chaos can be a good thing. And for a team that's going to yeah. finish with three or four wins, it probably is. What sort of chaos should uh, should this signal starting uh, as soon as the season ends? Um, so I think this is what's going to be important for this staff going into this cycle of, you know, their, their first real cycle of the portal. You, you don't want to be in a situation where you're replacing – you're losing top of you know all of your top of the roster guys that can leave. It's going to be imperative starting next week and, and you know into you know from Monday to December fourth that they do as good a job as possible keeping guys that they think are a you know a building block for the future of this program. Because if they're the number Satterfield is throwing around is like twelve to fifteen. 
Um, and I've asked around, and, and that seems about right as to what they're expecting on number of transfers that they're going to add. In a perfect world, if this goes how they want it to go, most of those numbers are going to come from guys leaving the program that are not a part of the, the big picture long term. And what I mean by that is if you're a Luke Fickle recruit, and excuse me, and you have been buried. You're you're not you didn't you didn't see the two deep this year. <laughs> it's probably a, you know the, the writing's probably on the wall that you're not in the long term plans for this program. If those are the guys that leave, and you replace those guys with at best at worst, I mean you know guys that are. Uh, depth, guys that are going to be on the two deep and and going to push your starters, and if an injury happens, you're not going to see a significant drop-off, or guys that can rotate in behind the starters, then you're going to have a successful portal season. If you're just replacing starters with new starters from the transfer portal, you're not fixing the problem that one of the main problems that, that this team has, and that's they weren't very deep. There wasn't hardly anything behind the starters. Right. So that's that's going to be the important part for the portal for me is adding middle to top of the roster transfers in replacement of middle to bottom of the roster uh, guys that they're replacing and not just trading. If you, if you lose a starting safety and you add a starting safety. Hey, it's Mo Egger. If you're a college basketball fan, you're going to love Long Neck Sports Grill. There are three locations in Northern Kentucky, Wilder, Hebron, and Richwood. Each one of them has 4K TVs all over the place. And at Long Necks, the sound is on for every big game. Plus, no place has a better beer selection. And the menu at Long Necks is awesome, but you've got to try their wings. No matter who your team is, you'll find them at Long Necks. This college basketball season, swing by Long Neck Sports Grill. Stay late. Come often. Are you really Are you really that much? You know, maybe the safety's better than the one before, but how much better are you really in that situation I think you need to be better by bolstering the roster through the middle to the top and uh, thinning the herd at the bottom. How's that? Well put. Is that, is that delicate enough? Well, 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 well put. Uh, we'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you very much. All right. Sounds good. Thanks, Mo. Uh, Chad Brendel, BearcatJournal.com, all over the uh, Z's Bandago story. And again, lengthy conversation with uh, Wes Miller. Uh, the Chad was a part of it, BearcatJournal.com. We are way late, 24 after 4 o'clock. We're at the Amoreline Lager House, downtown Cincinnati. The, they got like a, a cast of thousands putting together this Chris Kindle market, which opens tomorrow. Uh, more on that here. Plus, um, Steve Cangelosi, who's uh, calling the FC Cincinnati match for Apple, is going to join us at 5.05. And some uh, post-Joe Burrow Bengals thoughts coming up as well on ESPN 1530 Cincinnati Sports Station. You will not find a better deal this Christmas than buying one of these uh, igloos here at the uh, Chris Kindle Market, which opens tomorrow. They're 300 bucks. But here's the coolest part. As soon as you pay 300 bucks for an igloo, they give you $300 in gift cards that you could use for food, drinks, stuff, gear, apparel, snacks, whatever. You can do whatever you want with the gift cards. Doesn't matter to me. Doesn't matter to them. Uh, if you go to uh, the Christian Moreline Logger House's website, which is uh, very easy to navigate, and uh, you just cr- click on Chris Kindle Market, it'll tell you about everything that's going to be happening. 
And uh, morelineloggerhouse.com is that website. You've also got to check out the four-lane ice slide, which they've been working on for weeks and has just been, like, taunting us about, you know, how cool it's going to be. In the time that we've, we've been here since I got here at, like, 145 today, the amount of work they've done is incredible. That's like the biggest Christmas tree ever. This is going to be awesome, so uh, check it out here at the uh, Moreline Logger House. And, again, you can go to uh, CincinnatiChrisKindleMarket.com or you can uh, simply go to MorelineLoggerHouse.com and uh, find out more. Uh, we're going to learn more about this year's Thanksgiving Day race when we come back. We're at the Moreline Logger House downtown Cincinnati on ESPN 1530 Cincinnati Sports Station. Borough-less Bengals turn to Jake Browning as the orange and black take on Pittsburgh's black and gold. Jake Browning throws the first touchdown pass of his NFL career. Will our Bengals rally around Jake the Snake for the win? Fight for the goal line. Touchdown. Dan Hoard and Dave Lampin have the call live. Bam, bam, bam. Coverage begins Sunday morning at 9 on ESPN 1530, the official home of the Bengals. All right, 22 away from 5 o'clock. This is ESPN 1530. Uh, I am broadcasting downtown Cincinnati at the uh, Moorline Lager House. We are two days away from Thanksgiving, which means we are uh, two days away from one of uh, the great traditions, the 114th Western and Southern Thanksgiving Day race, one of the oldest and largest 10Ks in the entire country. And this year there's a new twist. Both the, the 5K and the 10K are going to end on the field at TQL Stadium, home of FC Cincinnati, where there will be a playoff game played on uh, on Saturday night. This is an awesome event. Here to tell us more is uh, Julie Isferding. Uh, it is uh, good to have you. This is such a cool event. People look so forward to it. It's good to have you. What's going on? Oh, Mo, it's great to be on with you. It is a beautiful introduction. You're right. We have the new 5K, which in, in 114 years, this race has never had that distance. Hmm. And, Mo, I have to tell you, it's made our numbers increase by 50% because I think the 5K is more accessible. Anyone can do a 5K. And so that has really, really changed the face of this race. And then the 10K this year is entirely run in Cincinnati. So I think it really takes advantage of all the topography and how much our city has changed. And as you said, we'll finish right outside of TQL Stadium, and then we have the big finish line party on the field. And it's really, it's going to be one of those really special days in Cincinnati, which it is every year. No question. This is maybe a dumb question, but it's not the first time I've asked a, a dumb question. How do you go about rerouting a 10K race? Oh, no, Mo, that actually is the best question because we were looking for uh, a 10K and 5K where we could start it at once. And guess who helped us? The Cincinnati Police. Wow. Dan Rolick, he's head of special events at um, the police, said, I can design, you know, I'll help you design a great race where we don't have to shut down bridges and ramps and anything that's going to cause, you know, because doing something through the center of the city is really hard. So the Cincinnati police helped us do it. Wow. That's pretty. So among the, the long list of responsibilities that the, the great folks at the Cincinnati police department have now, they're, they're, they're rerouting races. This is good to know. <laughs> yeah. They um, actually, they're our best partner. And, wow. you know, I've been doing this race for 26 years 
Um, and they, by far, are my best partner in terms of safety, security, um, great ideas. Um, and then that's besides the sponsors, too. You have Western and Southern. Now we oh, yeah. have TQL and Pella and CTI and all those great names um, who really give back to Cincinnati in so many ways. Uh, you can still register now. I, I do want to mention this because, you know, there are a lot of us. Obviously, Thanksgiving's a family holiday. This is an event where you can get the entire family involved. Tell me about the Kids Run. Oh, yeah. The Kids Run is the pro Impact Kids Run. We have over 200 kids signed up. It's right at the starting line. We started with a school bell. And it just goes up and makes a turn and comes right back because we want the kids to finish right under the banner. And the parents give out their medals to their children. So we have the parents waiting for them at the finish. So we have that. And then you mentioned, you know, the whole family aspect. This is the largest family race in the country. Um, We encourage families to enter as groups, special discounts for families. And that's what makes the day really special, too. I know you're doing a packet pickup now at the uh, race headquarters, which is inside the stadium in the first financial club for folks that are hearing this. And they're like, you know what? I'm going to get out there and run. And then I'm going to stuff my face uh, for Thanksgiving. (laughs) Where can people go? Um, You park for free in the East Garage at TQL. And all the information is on the website, thanksgivingdayrace.com. So you park for free there. There's all kind of signage to get you right into this beautiful first financial club. It's this amazingly large suite, and it's gorgeous. And we have a ton of volunteers here from Girls on the Run today. And it's easy packet pickup. The swag bag mo is so heavy you can't carry it out. We have all these PNG products, orange running gloves, wow. kind of to celebrate our winning city with the Bengals and FC Cincinnati, and now the Thanksgiving Day race. And then um, it's so easy, and I would register online and come on over. All right, uh, the website very easy to get to. ThanksgivingDayRace.com, easy to navigate, and here's. For a lot of us, here's the most important part. It looks like the weather on Thursday morning is going to be fantastic. Do you believe it? I'm glad you brought that up because many of years it's been snowing and raining and bitter cold. And this year, oh, my gosh, did you see that yellow sun on Thursday? (laughs) I could be happier. (laughs) uh, It'll be a welcome sight for uh, runners and and folks along the course uh, at the same time. All right, ThanksgivingDayRace.com, the 114th annual Western and Southern Thanksgiving Day Race, 10K and 5K now, rerouted 10K, and uh, it's a great part of uh, the Cincinnati Thanksgiving tradition, and uh, the weather should be terrific. Julie, thank you as always. Oh, and happy Thanksgiving, Mo. Right back to you. ThanksgivingDayRace.com is the website. You can register right now and uh, and go out and take part in what is an awesome part of Thanksgiving here in uh, Cincinnati. It is uh, 16 minutes away from uh, 5 o'clock. We're here at the uh, Moraline Locker House, downtown Cincinnati, hanging out till uh, 6 o'clock. Uh, we're going to chat with the uh, the guy who's on the call for uh, Apple TV, the FC Cincinnati match in the Eastern Conference semifinals on a Saturday. Uh, Steve Cangelosi is going to join us. I keep wanting to call him John Cangelosi because when I was a kid, he was an outfielder for the Pirates. Uh, we'll do that. And uh, also, 
I'm, it's, it's rare that we do anything for me on this show. This isn't just for me, but there are folks who maybe graduated from the University of Dayton in our audience, or they're UD Flyer fans. The Flyers had a good showing in Charleston. Houston beat them, but picked up wins over LSU and, and St. John's. Uh, David Jablonski has been on this show before. He has uh, written a book about UD Arena, an iconic college basketball venue. We're going to talk with uh, David coming up at 520 about what he wrote and the team. And uh, I got some, some stuff on the Bengals. There's, there's two things I want to address as it relates to the Bengals. One is the suggestion that they should tank. Actually, three. Two is the suggestion that Joe Burrow is injury prone. And three is you're not being mean if you say this coaching staff should be good enough to still get wins without Joe Burrow. Uh, And that the roster should still be good enough to get wins without Joe Burrow. We will address each of those uh, issues between now and uh, 6 o'clock. It is 14 away from uh, 5 o'clock. I'm Mo Egger. Glad you're with us today on ESPN 1530 Cincinnati Sports Station. Told you before the season would hit the over, just crushed the New York Knicks last night. You ask a question, I give you an answer. Uh, speaking of questions, uh, we have three poll questions thanks to our friends at uh, Baxler Tractor. Baxler Tractor has uh, a showroom in Batavia, a showroom in Seaman. They also have a website. How about this? They have a website. I got one of them websites, BaxlerTractor.com. You know, the holiday shopping season is here. You got Black Friday. Does somebody in your house want a new tractor? or a new lawnmower, or some sort of uh, lawn outdoor equipment, some sort of gardening product, you've got to go to Baxley Tractor. Uh, I would love a new tractor. Maybe if somebody who's shopping for me this holiday season is listening, they'll go to Baxley Tractor. Uh, I, could use a, I could use a tractor. BaxleyTractor.com. Or I'll just go myself. And most people who shop on Black Friday, they're not shopping for other people. You know, I don't think we do this as much anymore because you just go shop online now, I guess. But you find those, like, idiots that would – now, like, a lot of retailers are actually doing the right thing and closing on Thanksgiving so people could, God forbid, spend the day with their families. But you would have these goobers lining up to go buy something on Thanksgiving night outside a store that would open up at 5 a.m. How many of those people were buying something for somebody else or buying for themselves? So if those people can do that, I could buy myself a tractor. And Baxler tractors, where I'm going to go, buy my tractor. Or if somebody jumps the gun and buys me one, boom. I just turned into John Madden. BaxlerTractor.com. Three poll questions. At Mo Egger on Twitter. First one. How much confidence do you have in Jake Browning's ability to help the Bengals win games? Three choices. Vote now. Question number two. How many wins will the Bengals finish the regular season with? Now, chances are you know this, but I'll explain uh, Twitter gives you four options. Now, the Bengals have seven games, so I, I had to sort of do this in a way that fit within the parameters of, of Twitter and, and what it allows you to do. And then the third question is, which scenario is Bengal, I'm sorry, which scenario is better for the Bengals? Scenario A, win enough games to qualify for the playoffs and lose in round one, or B, Lose out and get a top 10 pick. We will address all of these, but, you know, we need some results. So vote now at Mo Egger and uh, let us know. These are all Bengals-related poll questions. And, again, thanks to, to, uh, to Baxler Tractor. We, uh, we appreciate working with them. 
Um, we're here till uh, 6 o'clock at the Amoraline Lager House. We, obviously, Tony and Mo football show yesterday, kind of knee-deep on a lot of different Bengals things. And I, I asked, we had on with this Dr. Jonathan Slaughter from Ortho Cincy about the suggestion that Joe Burrow is injury-prone. Now, I, I think there's a difference between injury-prone and fragile. Injury-prone means frequently injured. Well, that's a fact. He is frequently injured. Had a knee injury his rookie year. He had a calf injury in training camp this year. He had, uh, obviously, an injury now to his hand. The, the appendectomy is a little sort of outside the boundaries of the stuff we typically talk about. But, you know, not really a football thing. But he's had, for a guy who's now played four NFL seasons, two of them have ended prematurely. By the way, he limped off the field at the end of the Super Bowl uh, two years ago. He's, he has been frequently injured. Is he fragile? I don't know, man. The calf issue, I, I don't know how often that happens. It was a hot day. He had a compression sleeve. It was early in camp. I would think early in camp there are some aches and pains that come with the conditions surrounding it. The other two major injuries were the result of things that happen in football. You take hits. You take hits. You take enough hits. You, you Eventually, you... You get hurt. Injury prone is fair if you understand what prone means. The, the definition is frequently injured. Injury prone. If I'm accident prone, which I'm clumsy, I'm accident prone because accidents often happen to me or around me. Um, so to me, it's, it's, it's not so much about him being injury prone, but in, in terms of how much can you trust him, or how much is this a flaw physiologically? A lot of people make a guy getting hurt out to be a character issue, which bothers me to no end. At the same time, Tony said to me yesterday, you know, he doesn't like it when people bring up Andrew Luck. You know, Andrew Luck retired and left, prematurely left, kind of in the prime of his career. And God, is Joe going to do that? I think that's unfair. I do think it is fair, however. Joe Burrow's not through his rookie contract. We've had... Knee injury, hand injury, calf injury. <laughs> Three significant injuries. I wonder what is the cumulative effect going to be? What will the cumulative effect be of, of all of these injuries from two different perspectives? One, how many missed opportunities will the Bengals experience because the quarterback, the face of the franchise, continues to get hurt and will there be will there be some sort of I don't know piling up effect of so many injuries that from a physical standpoint it starts to catch up with him and limit him physically? I don't know the answer to that, but I I do think it's fair to wonder if there if there continues to be an accumulation of injuries, what will this mean for him when he's an older player? Bengals have locked into him for a long damn time well past him turning 30 years old. How much will all of this add up? Maybe none, but I can't help but wonder. Um, I think also there's this. First of all, it's, it's another year where we're talking about the Bengals not having great offensive line play. Now, you could have a great offensive line, and at some point, dudes like Jadavian Clowney are going to hit you. It happens. But yet another year where it feels like the Bengals' season didn't reach its full potential in part because the offensive line was deficient. Maybe it was better than last year's. 
Maybe it was better than the year before. But it's, it's now been, let's see, eight years since you could legitimately say the Bengals had a really good offensive line. How many more years are we going to do this? Where not having a high-end offensive line, and it's not because they haven't tried, but how many years are we going to do this where not having a high-end offensive line is going to limit what the team can do from a productivity standpoint and result in an injury to the most important player? I think the other thing is, you know, we had on Dr. Slaughter yesterday from Ortho Cincy, and we talked about the timeline, and he said, you know, nine months maybe. So here we are again. Joe Burrow is not going to be able to have a normal offseason and, you know, possibly might not have a normal training camp. And we've held out hope each of the last couple of years that he could go through at least a full and normal offseason, which, you know, he did go through a normal offseason last year until training camp started, and then training camp started and he got hurt and he couldn't have a normal training camp. Whenever the offseason begins for the Bengals, that's going to be one of the questions. How much of a normal training camp can Joe Burrow have? And that's frustrating. Uh, vote now on our poll questions. We'll get to them coming up here in uh, just a bit. Meanwhile, the uh, international break is ending, and three weeks after they advance to the Eastern Conference semifinals, FC Cincinnati is finally going to play. The guy who's going to call their match on Saturday night for Apple joins us. When we come back, we're at the Amoraline Lager House downtown on ESPN 1530, Cincinnati's sports station. Cincinnati's ESPN 1530. Traffic. From the UC Health Traffic Center, lung cancer screening saves lives. If you are 50 or older and have a history of smoking, call the University of Cincinnati Cancer Center at 513-584-LUNG. That's 513-584-LUNG. Multiple accidents in your way. 275 West at 71. It's got the right three lanes blocked. 71 North after Montgomery Road. Coleraine Avenue at Burnside Drive and Cheviot Road south of Hubble Road. I'm John Crawford with traffic. This report is spot.com. Get ready for the Jake Browning Show. Touchdown! Nice. Bengals! The Burrowless Bengals turn to Jake Browning as the orange and black take on Pittsburgh's black and gold. Jake Browning throws the first touchdown pass of his NFL career. Will our Bengals rally around Jake the Snake for the win? Fight for the goal line! Touchdown! Dan Hoard and Dave Lappin have the call down. live. Bam! Bam! Coverage begins Sunday morning at 9 on ESPN 1530, the official home of the Bengals. All right, that's us. It's uh, five minutes after 5 o'clock. This is ESPN 1530. I'm Mo Good afternoon. Thank you so much for joining us. We're broadcasting today from the uh, Moraline Locker House, downtown Cincinnati, until uh, 6 o'clock. Uh, between now and then, the uh, $5 happy hour menu is in effect, and we have uh, $2 off appetizers as well. A, uh, a big weekend in uh, Cincinnati sports includes a conference semifinal matchup. FC Cincinnati advanced with their uh, sweep of the New York Red Bulls. And uh, now, after a lengthy break, they're back at home as the top seed in the Eastern Conference for a conference semifinal tilt on a Saturday night as the Orange and Blue will host uh, Philadelphia. Uh, that game is going to kick off at uh, 8 o'clock. You'll be able to watch it on uh, Apple TV as part of MLS Season Pass. And uh, calling the game alongside uh, Danny Higginbotham is uh, Steve Cangelosi, who's nice enough to uh, spend some time with us this afternoon to talk about Saturday night. Steve, it's good to have you. Thank you for your time. How are you? Thank you for having me. And, yeah, talk about a long wait for <laughs> FC Cincinnati, 21 days. For the Philadelphia Union, 17 days. Let's finally do this. Now, we're excited about this. This could be an epic, epic game on Saturday night at TQL. 
No, no question about it. It's going to be a terrific atmosphere. The, 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 it's going to be well worth the wait, uh, given that. Um, let's, let's, let's talk about the news of the day. Pat Noonan, I think to the surprise of, of no one, FC Cincinnati's already, you know, cleaned up in awards with Matt Miazga, Defender of the Year. Uh, I, I think Acosta is going to be the MVP. Pat Noonan, MLS Coach of the Year. From your vantage point, what's it been like watching him do his work these last two years in Cincinnati? Yeah, no surprise to me. I gave him my vote uh, in the balloting. What's interesting is that he had the club vote, he had the player vote, and most of the media, or at least the majority of the media, voted for Bradley Carnell. He got 39% the coach in St. Louis over Noonan. But this was no shock, I think, to most people who cover the league that he would walk away with this award. What he's been able to do, not just this season, but cumulatively over the last two years, is, is nothing short of remarkable. Even though there has been just such an influx of talent on this team led by Acosta. But you consider where this franchise was over the first three years they had a goal differential over those three seasons of minus 105 combined over those three <laughs> years. And to watch them now potentially two wins away from an appearance in MLS Cup just speaks to the wonderful job he did. And the interesting thing, the dynamic on Saturday night, he spent four years as an assistant to Jim Curtin, the coach he's going to try to outsmart in this conference semifinal. Yeah, I, I was going to go there next as as you start to, to map out the storylines that you guys are going to talk about on Saturday. I've got to think that's number one, the Philadelphia-Cincinnati connection. Yeah, and obviously they have a history, and Noonan has learned from the very best. Curtin is the most recent, but this was also someone who played under Siggy Schmidt. The Coach of the Year award is named after the late Siggy Schmidt who Pat played for twice in Columbus and then in the twilight of his playing career in Seattle. He was an assistant to Bruce Arena on the national team. And now to kind of go against Curtin with two teams whose style generally mirrors each other. They're both very capable of winning an ugly defensive-minded game but we're not sure that that's exactly how this is going to play out on Saturday night. Uh, they both come in full throttle, I think, offensively. Those pieces are all healthy and available. For Cincinnati, your fans know that's Acosta, who will be the MVP, as you predicted. Brenner and probably Bupenza up top in the other forward position. And then you've got Philadelphia with Gazdag, Ua, and Carranza. They're terrific trio. And that's why I think that we all might be in for a delight and a surprising high-scoring game, considering who is not available for each of these teams. Miazga is irreplaceable, defender of the year who's suspended for Saturday night. And Philadelphia has some key pieces out of its lineup. Glessness, sports hernia surgery. Wagner is suspended. That's half of their back line. And it wouldn't surprise me if the approach of both of these coaches is suddenly go, go, go. Let's attack their vulnerable pieces that are suddenly finding themselves starting the most important game of the year. You know, uh, a year ago at this time, FC Cincinnati had just wrapped up a successful season, right? Had had qualified for the playoffs, won a game, uh, advanced. And, you know, year one of Pat Noonan, we go, boy, that's a success. You have to do even better in 2023. There are a lot of us 
for whom our, our wildest ma- imaginations didn't include winning the supporter shield and being the top seed in the in the Eastern Conference. Uh, what, what has it been like watching just the the growth from what they were last year? Where look, they had to win a lot of shootouts. In, uh, you know, you, you talk about how the game Saturday night might unfold. That's how they had to win last year. They've been so much better defensively this season. They've been able to win low goal games, and now they've they've sort of rounded into form as the best team in the league in terms of in terms of points. If I would have said to you a year ago at this time, you're going to be calling a match in Cincinnati in the semifinal round with the orange and blue as the top seed, you would have said what? Uh, I would have been surprised, but I wouldn't have fallen out of my chair because I did expect them to take the next step. Those things that you referenced from a year ago, I don't know if the fans truly understood as they were watching them how important they were. That road playoff win against the New York Red Bulls in which they trailed in an elimination game and they fight back with Acosta scoring on a penalty and then Brenner having the game winner late. That's a major step. And I also think that the biggest learning piece from last season was the game that ended their season because that one nothing defeat at the hands of Philadelphia in Chester I think opened the eyes of a lot of people. Jim Curtin, the coach of the union in the aftermath of that game, called it the toughest game they played all season. Now think about that for a minute. They played MLS Cup. They played an epic shootout against LAFC. That should be the toughest game, but he pointed to the Cincinnati one as the one that was most difficult for them. And I think that when they come out of that and when a player like Obina Wobodo in the aftermath of that game looks at the Eastern Conference champion and says, we had 15 shots, I don't see any difference between their team and our team. That kind of set the stage for all the good stuff that you saw this year. Now, look, this was never going to be easy. Chris Albright had to replace a very important piece from last year in Brenner. Seems like he's done that and I think has made the team even better with Bupenza as the other piece up top. So all of this fits. It's just a question of can they survive the night without a couple of key pieces maybe in their lineup. Miazga is the one we know about and we're still waiting to hear about the health status of some others like Arias and Wobodo as well. What, what do you feel about the, the assertion that the, the eventual MLS Cup winner is going to be who wins this game on Saturday? Um, it's, it's, it's a leap, but I can certainly understand why people would say that, especially as it pertains to Cincinnati. If you're the Supporters' Shield winner, you should have every expectation, I think, of winning MLS Cup. Now, they're going to be, they're going to try to be, excuse me, the ninth team ever to do that double, finish with the best record, the best point total in the regular season, and win the league championship when all was said and done. It's a really hard road to tell because the grind of this season also is unlike any other. (laughs) I understand it from a Philadelphia perspective, too, because the one thing about that team you have to understand is that They've been through a lot of elimination games over the last two years. I think in all competitions, they've played 13 elimination games. So they're tournament-tested tough. They're nucleus. They're veteran players. And guys like Bedoya and Blake have played in a lot more than that. 
The assertion, I think, is fair. I think you'd get a lot of pushback right now from folks in Seattle and LAFC if you try to float that in other parts of the country, though. <laughs> Steve Cangelosi has uh, the match on Saturday with uh, Danny Higginbotham, FC Cincinnati hosting Philadelphia, part of MLS season pass on Apple. I, I, I do have one question for you that has nothing to do with this game, okay? Sure. All right. So you're a New York guy. You grew up in Queens. My understanding is you grew up a Reds fan. Is this true? And how and why? Absolutely. It is absolutely true. Yeah, as a kid, the Big Red Machine was my team. So you're dating me a bit here, okay? <laughs> so I'm going to have to play ball along those lines. But if you go back even before they won their first World Series championship of that era, let's see if I can do this off the top of my head. Uh, I'm, I was about seven years old in 1970. A uh, season where Johnny Bench really came to the forefront as one of the biggest stars in baseball. So I, I, I think, you know, I remember that outfield of Pete Rose, uh, Bobby Tolan, Bernie Carbo came along a little bit later on, Dave Concepcion, who was a fantastic shortstop. They had Tommy Helms before Joe Morgan came in and made the team even better at second base. Obviously, Tony Perez, Lee May, and Bench was my favorite player, and I had a catcher's mitt specifically because I wanted to be like Johnny Bench. So, yes, it is absolutely true. I kind of got into this pattern in the later years of my life where you have to understand every Saturday of my existence was either devoted to my jobs in the NHL or Major League Soccer and soccer in other places, so I kind of fell off a little bit but I'll be the first one hopping back on the bandwagon when they're really ready to put another ring on. Promise. All right. All right. Very, very good. Well, well you know what? We'll, uh, we'll take all the room we can get. Hopefully that happens soon. Enjoy the, uh, the match on Saturday. It's going to be a lot of fun, and I, uh, I do appreciate the time, man. Thanks so much. Can't wait to get there. Take care. You got it. Uh, Steve Cangelosi, the match with uh, our buddy Dan- Danny Higginbotham for uh, MLS Season Pass on Apple TV. That starts at uh, 8 o'clock on uh, Saturday, Eastern Conference semifinals, FC Cincinnati taking on Philadelphia. 17 after uh, 5 o'clock. Uh, I don't think we've had uh, David Jablonski on the show in a while, maybe because my alma mater's basketball team hasn't been that good. Over the last couple of years, he covers them and so many other things. But if you are a, uh, a Dayton grad, you are going to uh, love uh, David's book about UD Arena. And if you're a college basketball fan, I think you'll appreciate the conversation. So we'll have it and jump back into the Bengals coming up at uh, 533. We're at the Moraline Logger House. Uh, we're hanging out downtown Cincinnati. They have the amount of work they've done today. This is like watching Mike Mills put together a live broadcast, getting the uh, Chris Kindle market ready. Uh, This looks awesome. It opens tomorrow, and uh, we'll talk more about that as well. We're here at the Lager House, 17 after 5 on ESPN 1530 Cincinnati Sports Station. Cincinnati ESPN 1530. I'm Mo Egger. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, We we have a, a double dose of coaches shows coming up when we're done the john calabari show wildcats winning last night in ot over uh, st joe's that's at uh, six o'clock and then the mark stoops radio show is at uh, 6 p.m the uh, the wildcat football team uh, losing to uh, south carolina on saturday getting set for the uh, the big louisville tilt meanwhile my alma mater the dayton flight beat rick patino rick patino has never beaten ud oh and three and uh, prior to that, they came back and beat LSU, and then they played Houston, and 
The Cougars are really good. Uh, on top of, of all that, UD's playing just down the street here in a few weeks uh, against, uh, against the Bearcats. Uh, if you're a, a, a Dayton alum, as I am, or if you're a, a Flyer fan, if, if you're just a, a fan of college basketball in this area, uh, David Jablonski covers UD sports on top of uh, many other things for uh, the Dayton Daily News. He has uh, written a book that is about UD Arena. And, you know, it's, it's funny being a, a graduate of the University of Dayton. You know, you'll find folks who they might not like the Flyers or they don't care that much about the Flyers or they don't care too much about college basketball, but they've seen a game at UD Arena and they'll talk about how awesome the experience is. The name of the book is The Epicenter of College Basketball, A History of UD Arena. It is available at udarenabook.com. David, you know I'm going to ask about the team, but first the book. Congratulations on it. I appreciate you joining us. What made you decide to write a book about UD Arena? Well, no, thanks for having me, first of all. And I should point out, that for most of your listeners, I could have also written a book about the Shoemaker Center or Fifth Third Arena yeah. or whatever it's called because I was a season ticket holder during the glory years of the Huggins era. <laughs> Nick, Nick Van Exel beat UAB. The opposite, yeah. Lenny Brown shot against, against UC for Xavier. I was there for all that. But I do have a rich history with UD. My grandpa was a longtime season ticket holder. My great-grandpa was a dean there. And the arena is just a special place. It's hosted more NCAA tournament games than any other venue in the country, 133 and counting, mostly because of the first four. But, you know, going all the way back to the, the 1970s when so many greats played there, like Magic, Johnson, Isaiah Thomas. Um, and it's got a concert history. Elvis played there three times. You know, Obama came to a game at the first four. There's just so many different angles, on top of which, you know, the Dayton Flyer fan base is one of the, the best in the country. Uh, ranking in the top 30 for every year of the arena's existence. So a lot of reasons to write a book, but the main reason was plenty of other famous arenas had books, and this one didn't. It Was there was there anything that your research uh, revealed to you about UD Arena that maybe you didn't know going in? Sure, there was a lot of, lot of little stories. There was a man who actually lived at the arena for the first five or six years of the arena's existence. He would close the doors, lock everything up, and just look over the arena at night. A single, uh, <laughs> solitary man, as the story of the Dayton Daily News described him, uh, without much of a family. But, uh, you know, that was a cool little story. Um, you know, some of the people I talked to talked about racing go-karts through the concourse on quiet nights at the arena. A lot of different uh, miscellaneous events, like they had a Star Trek, a showing of Star Trek at the arena with Gene Roddenberry, the creator Whoa. of the series, at that event. Uh, a, lot, a lot of little things like that. Uh, I added... Uh, to the story, but you know, ninety percent of it's about basketball. Yeah, no question. And and you know, you you have to capture the history of the place. They've they've done such a good job, and you could speak to this better than I. They've done such a good job in in updating it and renovating it, and yet, I think at the same time, maintaining at least to a degree the integrity of what the place was like many many years ago. Yeah, that was another reason I wanted to do the book. Now I thought it was good timing. The three year. Uh, renovation project uh, finished in 2019 right before that 29 win season and um it has gone through many renovations over the year but that was a big one it really changed the concourses and made them wider they fixed changed every seat in the place uh swapped out new ones um lots of different uh touches but the soul of the building is still there if you walk in you, you would recognize it from 1969 when it opened um you know i've been in plenty of places that that look brand new and maybe don't have that same feeling as they did 50 years ago. But I don't think you can say that about UD Arena. The players walking down that steep ramp to the court will you know, have a similar feeling now as, as they did uh, 50 years ago. 
Yeah, you know, I've I've said to people who have have asked about, well, you know, why do they play the first four there every year, or why is it such a a, a cherished place? And and to to me, it's it's a big place, right? It's 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 a structure that seats a lot of people relative to a lot of college basketball arenas, and yet. Even though if you're sitting in those upper reaches way out there, it kind of feels like you're, you're sitting in Kettering. But, you know, for the most part, if you're down low, it's big, but it's intimate. Like, I've told, I've told people, like, the, the feel, I'm not sure television captures that. Yeah, I don't know. The, the, the people up on the corners definitely don't have the best sight lines. There's certainly <laughs> some bad seats in there. Um, yeah. But they still fill that place. They sold out. Uh, by the end of the season, the sellout streak will be 60 games, and that's that's another part of the book is the attendance has, has always been strong, but now it's getting stronger. And for a program that hasn't made the NCAA tournament since uh, 2017, not counting 2020, when, as you know, and all the UD fans know, they would have made it uh, in strong fashion. But, uh, yeah, the sellouts, three straight sold-out seasons. They had never sold out a season before this. So, yeah, it's got an intimate feel. It's a fun place to watch a game. Um, the history just you know, keeps growing. Um, I think when I started the book, I hoped last year's team would write a nice, exciting, fun final chapter. That did not happen. Um, so I decided to go ahead with it this year. But hopefully this year's team can uh, can make some new history. Yeah, I'll get to that here in a second. By the way, go to udarenabook.com. It's, uh, it's $20, the epicenter of college basketball, a history of UD Arena as you think about the holidays. If there's a, a UD grad or student on your list, check it out again, udarenabook.com. This might be a really stupid question. Why? Because, you know, you, you referenced there was an NBA exhibition game with Michael Jordan. That's when I was a student. Um, beyond basketball, and a handful of other events, it's really not used as, as much as maybe it could. How come it's not used for other events? It used to be a big concert venue. Everybody was there back in the day, through the 70s, right. 80s. I mentioned Elvis, but Elton John, Tom Petty. Um, it's when the Shot and Scene Center opened. Uh, other you know big venues started drawing big concerts. Um, Nationwide Arena in Columbus, another one. Uh, they just stopped being able to compete for those big concerts and they were getting second rate acts for a while and eventually just i think it just wasn't worth it to, for them to, to go after that as much now now they do have air conditioning so in the summer they are hosting some events like the basketball tournament the tbt mm-hmm. has been there the last couple of years uh, a lot of graduations there in the summer but the big thing was the concerts but there's there's still a lot of other events the, the winter guard international um has made it's made it ud arena its home for decades now and that's that draws people from all over the country. Um, it is a big event, even if it doesn't get much attention. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a special place, mostly for basketball. I mean, the first four will be back there next year, and there's a lot, there's a lot of good storylines in that every year. Uh, so, yeah, I hope, it, uh, hope that stays there for a long time. If there is ends up being a a second edition of the book, do you will you feel compelled? Now, I'm happy to contribute this. Uh, when I was a sophomore, uh, Dayton beats Xavier. The Musketeers were, were undefeated, and the students rushed the floor. And so I did that. It was the only time I did that. And in the middle of all the chaos, I, ske- I stepped on Skip Prosser's foot. Would that make the second edition <laughs> as an iconic UD Arena moment? It sounds like a major uh, mistake on my part to overlook that story for this edition. <laughs> I mean, I should have given you a call right away. Um, <laughs> the students rushing the floor should be in that book. I mean, because it hasn't happened in the 11 seasons that I've covered the Flyers. I've never seen the students go on the courts uh, after a victory. They've had some good ones. But, 
then again, I've not seen them play Xavier at the arena too. That that arm really is uh, is long dead at this point. Yeah, so maybe yeah. it just takes a win over Xavier to get that kind of emotion. All right. Well, if there is a second edition, I'm happy to contribute. UDArenaBook.com. David Jablonski, who uh, covers the uh, the Dayton Flyers for the uh, for the Dayton Daily News, the epicenter of college basketball history of UD Arena. You you just covered the the Flyers, the three games they played in uh, Charleston, most of which was really good. That Houston team, that's a Final Four caliber team. I didn't expect them to beat them. The game sort of played out the way I thought. What did you learn about uh, about this team over the three days in uh, in Charleston? Austin. Yeah, the Flyers did what they have to do. They have to win two out of those three games. The last five times they've made the NCAA tournament, if you count 2020, uh, when there wasn't a tournament, uh, they've won two out of three games in those November tournaments. Um, they had a disappointing loss at Northwestern leading into it, a game that they should have won and would have been a great win for the resume because I think Northwestern will be top 50, top 60 team when all set is set and done. But then they came back from 15 to beat LSU, I'd seen Dayton come back from a lot before, but sometimes, you know, they don't complete the comeback. And this one they did. Uh, 3% chance of winning there with 10 minutes left. And they beat LSU, who, you know, Dayton fans hope they turn out to have a good season. And St. John's was a more dominant performance. They kind of took over that game in the second half um, to beat Patino, who was <laughs> – I'd never seen a Patino press conference, but he was uh, he was intense. <laughs> <laughs> after that one, pretty much throwing his players under the bus, which you would not see Anthony Grant do uh, no. in any degree. But you're right, Houston was really good. I mean, I think everybody knew Dayton had a slim chance, but hoped they would at least compete, but it wasn't even really that close. They were up 20 at one point in the second half, and Dayton was lucky to only lose by 14. But still, some good resume builders. I mean, the whole idea is to be on the right side of the NCAA tournament bubble. Don't know if they're there yet. You know, a win over Cincinnati in December might help. Uh, that'll be a fun game. But, uh, yeah, a long, lot of work to do. Yeah, that, that game down here is 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 going to be a blast. Uh, the book. I can't wait. History. I can't wait to see the Coliseum again. Uh, you're saying that tongue-in-cheek. And, 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 uh, <laughs> whatever. No. <laughs> have you been? Have you been down? Have you, have you, I haven't. Yeah, I've my first game. First games. game I've ever seen. Yeah, really? Tony Yates back in the eighties. My dad took me. He, my dad was a UC grad. We went. I lived in Mount Orb. We drove up to the, the Coliseum. That was my very first uh, college basketball experience. Obviously, it's why I'm such a college basketball fan now. Yeah, yeah. It was also <laughs> my first, my my second college basketball game I ever watched, and uh, I remember back then going, "God, this place is sort of outdated." And that was in 1988. So. But it'll be, you know, for me, because I, you know, I'm a Bearcat fan and and obviously a UD grad. It, it always it puts me in a weird place when the two programs play. But it's still, you yeah. know, a, a bit of a confluence of two things <laughs> I love, and so I am I am looking forward to that. Uh, best of luck with the book, A History of UD Arena, the epicenter of college basketball. Uh, David's website is udarenabook.com. The book is twenty bucks, which is a hell of a deal. udarenabook.com. Uh, check it out, and again, if you have a Flyer fan. On uh, on your holiday shopping list, we just did it for you. And if not, you just want to buy it, buy it, and you're good to go. David, I appreciate the time, man. Thanks so much. Hey, thanks, thanks so much, man. Appreciate it. You got it. Uh, UDArenaBook.com. We are late here at the uh, Moorline Logger House downtown on ESPN 1530 Cincinnati Sports Station. Cincinnati's and Steelers. Coverage begins Sunday morning at 9 on ESPN 1530, the official home of the Bengals. It is uh, 18 away from uh, 6. This is ESPN 1530. My name is Mo Egger. Thank you so much for listening today. We're at the uh, Moorline Lager House. We'll be back here next Tuesday. 
for another uh, another Tuesday broadcast. And by then, they'll have the uh, the Chris Kindle market like in in full effect, as they say, which is uh, it looks awesome. And by the way, they got this uh, four lane ice slide. I, I tell you what's going to happen uh, next Tuesday. We're we're going to do our show from three to six. And when we're done, Mike Mills and and Megan and I together, we're going to go down the four lane ice slide. So. I, I already can't wait. And you've got to check. This is this Christmas tree is massive, and they've got igloos, and it looks awesome. And uh, next Tuesday, four-lane ice slide. We, we could give away the fourth, the fourth spot, Mike, myself, Megan, and then, you know, we could, we could auction it off for charity, I guess. Uh, you've got to check it out at, uh, at the uh, Christian Moreline Lager House website, morelineloggerhouse.com. The Chris Kindle Market opens tomorrow, and it runs clear through the uh, holiday season you could reserve an igloo you can rent one 300 bucks and uh you instantly get 300 dollars in gift cards that you could use for for anything so how about that hey, wear your sliding pants next tuesday for the the slide sports headlines are a, uh, a service of uh, Kelsey Chevrolet. We certainly thank them. Kelsey Chevrolet. Now through December 2nd, it's Kelsey Chevrolet's Black Friday pre-owned sales event. All makes, all models, lenders on site, guaranteed credit approval, top value for your trade, lifetime powertrain protection only at Kelsey Chevrolet. Uh, Pat Noonan, Major League Soccer Coach of the Year. We love Pat. Pat on this show, he's come on maybe three or four times this year. And uh, since he got the job with FC Cincinnati, has been so accommodating with his time and really patient with my bad soccer questions. I'm a huge Pat Noonan fan, deserving of the award, and hopefully uh, the success that this season has been continues on Saturday. Matt Canada, not a success in Pittsburgh. Steelers fire their offensive coordinator. First in-season coaching change since 1941. World War II. How about that? Matt Canada done in Pittsburgh. Uh, it's a, a night of coaches shows. If you love listening to college coaches talk on the radio, tonight is your night. At 6 o'clock, we have the John Calipari show. At 7 o'clock, we, we have the Mark Stoop show. At 7 o'clock, 55 KRC has the Sean Miller show. XU, with a tough loss against Washington, bounced back. Couldn't grab a rebound against St. Mary's, but still won in Las Vegas. Uh, the Musketeers getting set to play six straight home games. Sean show tonight at 7 on 55 KRC. And the Scott Satterfield radio show at 8 p.m. on 700 WLW. The Shimon Mateer thing, t- to be as succinct as I can because we don't have a ton of time, in an ideal world, players wouldn't leave before the season ends. We don't live in an ideal world. In an ideal world, the coaches wouldn't leave before bowl games. I I wish Shaman Matera would stay because there's a part of me that does believe in you make a commitment to a team, you see the season through. That would be great. But I'm sorry, man. I, I can't come down on a guy for making a business decision when this is a big business. It gets to be a bigger business every single day. You made a business decision. As a Bearcat fan, as a part of that, I wish Shimon would play on Saturday, like CUC win their last game. I get it. I also, I, I can't blame anybody in, in a business where everybody is putting themselves first. The players shouldn't. And look, this is this is the next step in 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 an evolution that you might think is bad for the sport. We've seen players bail from meaningless bowl games. The next step was it going to be bailing from meaningless regular season games? 
So uh, I, I like Shaman. I talked to him for the pregame show this year and enjoyed spending time with him. I hope he does well. Uh, we have a couple of poll questions. Thanks to uh, Baxla Tractor at Mo Egger. They're Bengals-related poll questions. Hope you're excited. BaxlaTractor.com. Uh, so the first one is this. How much confidence do you have in Jake Browning's ability to help the Bengals win games? Lots, some, or none? 4.4% say lots. 61.8% say some. 33.8% say none. The answer by the end of the season, frankly, the answer by Sunday can't be none. Um, how many wins will the Bengals finish the regular season with? Five or six? Seven or eight? Nine or ten? Eleven or twelve? Fifty-eight percent say seven or eight. My prediction is the Bengals will finish with seven wins, which means they go two and five the rest of the way. Now, I've said this, and it it, it comes off as, I guess, an insult. Some have taken it. It's not. I think what we've come to learn about this team through ten games, forget the Burrow thing for a second, they haven't been as good as we thought they were going to be. I, I, I thought the Bengals... If you ask me to pick a Super Bowl winner, which I'm not a huge fan of doing because it doesn't take into account all the weirdness of the playoffs, the two teams I would have mentioned first were Cincinnati and Philadelphia. Uh, watching the Bengals this season, it's been rare that I thought that's a Super Bowl team. If Burrow was healthy, maybe they could have played themselves into that. But I still think it's a good enough roster that – the idea of them winning the majority of their remaining games is not that far-fetched. And so I certainly wish Joe were playing, but I am looking forward to finding out if this staff is as good as we have said, if this roster is as good as we have said, and if, if the decisions the, the front office have made are as good as we have alleged. And if these things are true... If you believe these things, you should think the Bengals have a chance to be more than competitive down the stretch. If you don't believe those things, then, well, then I guess we were just making it up when we talked about how good this team was and the coaching staff and the front office. Uh, other poll question is, what scenario is better? I, I do not agree with the majority here. Uh, win enough games to qualify for the playoffs and lose in round one or lose out and get a top 10 pick. 70% say lose out. Look, I get it. It'd be cool to have a top 10 pick, and that's not a bad consolation prize for me. Um, th this, this, my, my history as a Bengals fan doesn't involve enough winning for me to be dismissive about making the playoffs. Also, I root for interesting. I root for cool stories. The Bengals still making the playoffs is a cool story. I don't think it's going to happen, but it'd be a cool story. Uh, we're done. Uh, back here next Tuesday, back in studio tomorrow, and uh, looking forward to it. Thanks to Mike Mills for producing on-site. Thanks to Megan Heckler for drinking coffee and um, hanging out, giving out uh, Luke Combs tickets. Thanks to you for listening. Thanks to the staff of the uh, Moreline Logger House. Have a great evening. Back at it tomorrow. The uh, Mark, Mark, the John Calipari, I almost called him Mark Calipari. Do those two guys, are they like in the same studio? Because they hate each other, Calipari and Stoops. Or, you know, anyway, Cal's show is next. Have a great night. This is ESPN 1530 Cincinnati Sports Station. Gillette. Hey, it's Mo Egger. If you're a college basketball fan, you're going to love Long Neck Sports Grill. There are three locations in Northern Kentucky, Wilder, Hebron, and Richwood. Each one of them has 4K TVs all over the place. 
And at Long Necks, the sound is on for every big game. Plus, no place has a better beer selection, and the menu at Long Necks is awesome, but you've got to try their wings. No matter who your team is, you'll find them at Long Necks. This college basketball season, swing by Long Neck Sports Grill. Stay late. Come often. 